You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C., and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Joining us today on the Above180.com podcast is Joe Slowinski. Joe is a USBC certified gold coach. You want to find out more about Joe, he has a really great website with a lot of his his articles on and his thoughts on bowling. Go to www.bowlingknowledge.info, www.bowlingknowledge.info. Joe, Tim Berg here. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. I look forward to talking with you. Well, Joe, well, we have a really a long-distance connection today as, as you're joining us from Budapest. So talk about what are you doing over, overseas? Actually, I live here now. Um, my wife is Hungarian, and my son uh, is fluent in Hungarian, so we thought it would be great for him to have the opportunity. He's 11 now. Um, so now this is my home base is, is Budapest, Hungary. I just finished a stint in Romania and I'm freelancing. I'm working with some different federations. I'm doing some work in Slovenia, Poland. I'll be going to Ireland and also in Switzerland. And I'm also um, in some negotiation negotiations with some other federations to do clinics and work with their national teams. So it's a good opportunity to get out uh, and spread the word of bowling. Well, Joe, you and I have something in common because my wife has both German and Hungarian uh, ancestry. So if you're anything like me, you get some good cooking along the way, don't you? Oh, the Hungarian cuisine is phenomenal. If, if you haven't really, there's so much beyond Gulyash that uh, it will it'll blow your mind, actually. The, the food uh, is, is truly amazing. So you want to be, begin our interview, Joe, uh, you want to talk a little bit about how you became interested in coaching or how you are driven today as being one of the world's most renowned coaches? Well, I started coaching actually when I was in high school. I, I would, uh, completed my first certification when I was 17 years old. Part of it was following in my dad's footsteps. He was a volunteer. He was the youth director for 25 years, so well past when I went on. He. I grew up in, in, in southern Maine, right around the Portland area. So part of that, seeing him being so dedicated to the sport and helping youth bowlers get better and all of the hours that he put in, uh, I wanted to help out too. So uh, I received the certification and started coaching. So I've been coaching for 28 years now. So with, with having said that, it's the idea of just 
understanding the sport better and helping people get better. There's nothing, there's a no, no better feeling that I know than helping other people get better. So this is just to me an extension of that, taking uh, my passion to other places that really share the passion for the sport of bowling and to help players and coaches get better at what they do. Well, Joe, and, and speaking of that, I want to reference your piece that you just put out in the BTM uh, titled Shape Shifting, Matching Ball Motion Shapes to Maximize Your Margin for Air. Uh, this is something after after doing some research for our interview here that just smacked me upside the head because um, one of the things that I've been struggling with is, is what you're talking about here, which is the transition of moving left and, and changing my ball motion and ball shape as the lanes transition through league. So I thought your piece was very uh, informative and really just provided a really good blueprint for bowlers to help bowlers as as you know you're bowling a five-person league or a three-person league and you have to start transition the lane start transitioning and why don't you i guess talk about what bowlers really need to do when the lane start transitioning because that's always been a, 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 a people have different thoughts on how to you know do you move left do you ball down again speaking from the right-handed bowler do you move left do you ball down what do you see? So I guess talk a little bit about your, your thoughts in this and, and just really what bowlers need to pay attention to as their league nights progress. Well, I think the, that's one of the areas that many bowlers uh, have difficulty with. One is that they have difficulty seeing the ball change directions, so they really don't understand how the ball is losing energy, axis of rotation and axis tilt-wise as it travels down the lane. Uh, in addition... I see many players starting too far left at the beginning, so they give away a lot at the beginning and they kind of wait for the pattern to come to them. You hear that a lot, I'm waiting for the pattern or the pattern came to me. Uh, the idea behind this article and how I teach is to get people to ask those two questions. Does the ball get down the lane so that it actually can get to the head pin and does it enter the pocket with enough angle to carry? And if those two questions, if you really think about it, are the essence of ball motion. It dictates if you have enough uh, entry angle from the hook to roll phase and also getting the ball to get down the lane so that you have margin of error. As, as you see mid-lane transition develop, many players have problems because when they miss right, the ball burns up and loses uh, energy so that it can't change directions. And if they miss a little left, the ball has no chance to get to the pocket and it always goes left. At that point in time, I call that the why. Why the hell are you in that zone? Because that zone is, is very bad. You have to get out of the mid lane portion of that, but still use down lane friction to create score, scoreability and to keep uh, your no, scores high. Well, go ahead, Joe. I, I just have a follow, but why don't you finish your thought? Well, no, ask the question because that I, if you think of the why concept, it's when you miss right, the ball can't recover. When you miss left, the ball goes, it can't get to the head pin. So you have no hold, no hold or no recovery. So it, it almost looks like a why. And that's normally when the mid lane transition is developing. When the ball misses right, it covers too much territory, loses axis of rotation and axis tilt. It can't change directions. If a player misses left, it can't stay online. You know, I, I think that answers my question, Joe, before I even ask you. And, and my, my question is, one of the more difficult elements that 
myself and, and other customers I've spoken to over the years have is recognizing this transition or when the bull begins burning or using up some of its you know transitional energy before it gets to the pocket. In other words, everything looks good. I mean, it really looks good with length and back end, yet the, the, the pin carry is just not there. And I think a lot of it is in, in the states here, a lot of the synthetic surfaces are not brand new and they turn into high friction surfaces compared to when they're brand new, uh, the friction level is so much less. So what's the easiest way for bowlers to recognize this or, or is it that Y system that you're speaking of? Well, you bring up a great point because that's really before the Y develops. A lot of times you'll see people, I'm keep, I keep hitting the pocket, I'm getting tapped, I leave a 10 pin. So one of the things I would encourage everybody to look for is how is the ball leaving the pin deck? If it's lead, as a right-handed bowler, if it's migrating progressively towards the nine pin, you know your entry angle is depleting so that the ball is losing energy. You're starting to, the ball is starting to deflect towards the nine. For the left-hander, of course, that would be the eight pin. So if you watch the mid-lane section of the lane and how it transitions from the end of the pattern to the friction and then also how it leaves the pin deck, there's a lot of information there because our environment is invisible. We don't have the opportunity to see how it's changing. The only thing that we know for sure is watching our own ball reaction and also those of our teammates. Many people don't watch the other people on the lane. Or if you're changing pairs, go over and watch where the people are playing and those who are successful and those who are, uh, who are not. But that leaving the pin deck, that's going to tell you a lot of information about what your ball is doing and also how it's changing. Right, and, and your article kind of rep represents this in that once we start seeing this ball finishing behind the 9-pin, say in lieu of splitting the 8-9, that's the time to change your ball phase motion and go into one of your later, stronger, down-lane reacting ball. Am I correct? Yes, I think there a, a more skilled player might stay more right and change the speed they may change their axis of rotation, but at some point in time, especially if it's a longer block, you're going to have to migrate through your arsenal uh, to get the ball uh, to create angle and to cre create hold and move left so that you can be in a cleaner part of the lane and use the down lane friction and avoid that mid lane transition that is always bad news for players. Now, what about when there's Again, carry down entering into the equation? Because that, that always comes up in Joe, I want to get your thoughts. A lot was made here stateside about the USBC Open and the pattern and how tough it played and how it wasn't fair. And you heard everything, you know, negative about the pattern. I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this because a lot of what we're talking about here is what teams do that succeed at the USBC Open. So just talk about your thoughts on, on the pattern and then the team, you know, the teams ultimately that are always in the top 10, the, you know, turbo two and one grips and, the, and you know, the team that won it, they all played the lanes together and did exactly what you're talking about here. Yeah, I think it, for the USBC Open, uh, all you need to say is one word and that's Wisconsin. Uh, those teams play the unit as a team. I was just at the European Championships in Vienna and watching Denmark, who dominated the tournament, they played the lane as a unit from start to finish. When they moved, they moved together, and it wasn't about one person scoring. It was about the whole collective unit seeing three balls as a trio, two balls as a doubles, or five 
as a team go down the lane. You're absolutely right. Turbo two and one, always very competitive. And those teams from Wisconsin all do it. They do it as a unit and the successful teams do it. The, col- the good college teams do the same thing. They break down the lanes, they play the, team as a- they play the lanes as a unit because it's information. Um, it's much better if you can watch a teammate throw the ball and know what to expect and then instead of you throwing another shot and giving away pins, you're going to make a proactive move. But I, I, very get, I get very frustrated when people complain about lane conditions. It, it's just energy zapping from mental focus and it's unnecessary. If you watch the ball go down the lane and have a plan and know your arsenal and have the ability to change speeds and axes of rotation, there's no reason for you not to do very well most of the time. Okay, Joe, did, did you hear the trail end of my question? Uh, you know, during that transition, uh, what do bowlers do when there's an excessive amount of carry down in front of the pocket and, and they, they make their moves, they go to a different ball or they try and increase their axis rotation, but the oil carry down is negating some of their pin carry that they saw earlier? Yeah, I think for, for the most part, you're going to see carry down when people are playing on shorter patterns when they're using urethane more than you will normally under medium or long pattern conditions. Yes, there will be smudges of oil down the lane, but that really is most evident on short patterns, especially at the international level uh, uh, when you have the, the, like Sydney, the 34 foot pattern, um, Stockholm, Sydney, 33 feet. Uh, I think one of the things more often than not is you're really seeing the ball lose energy in the mid lane, even deep. There are times when players have to play something around 30 to 15, 30 to 16. Now for many listeners that may seem like an extreme, but you have to move the break point to the deep inside so that you literally avoid the ball from seeing the, the friction too soon, or if you miss right, not being able to run. That's what I see, that, that kind of situation, what you're referring to by the question, is I, I like when people can lower their axis of rotation and throw the ball faster and play that tight line 28, 29, 30 to 15, 16. Very much like a traditional fallback shot. Right, you're saying in lieu of moving in and increasing your axis rotation, meaning coming around the ball more, you'd prefer them to stay where they are or move right and lessen their axis rotation by creating more end over end roll and just kind of almost like a stuff it shot. Yeah, at, at times the, at times you're you're almost forced to use the shot, especially. Uh, I'll give an example from the European Championships in the beginning on the trios teams like Sweden, there were two kinds of trains of thought. At the beginning on the, the medium, Sweden was playing 23, 24, 25 out to seven. So you can imagine a full game, the, the teams that came to the next, that pair the next time, the mid lane was really already depleted because it was a 38 foot pattern. On the other side was Denmark playing seven to five with real firm speed. 
So depending upon the situation, if you came back on that Swedish pair that was already broken down, you had two choices. You either had to tighten it up and move left, or you had to move way to the right. So I think that the idea is if the mid lane section is gone, and at some time, this center in Vienna, there is a big slope to the center of the lane between 10 and 20 on a lot of the pairs. So people start further left, it completely takes away the ability to have the ball go right for you to be able to score. So the idea is that you're going to move everything further left. It's, it's the same as if you're bowling, say, an 8 or 10 game block on medium. Eventually, you're going to have to play that tight fallback shot. And you're right, low speed, fast speed, low axis of rotation, end over end. Sometimes you can use stronger equipment, come back to your early equipment to make sure the ball sets up early, and then if you miss, it doesn't go left. It holds the pocket. Well, Joe, it's interesting you bring that up because that was actually one of the things that I, I did that I noticed is taking a piece that's a much more controllable ball at the end of the night. And it was, it was kind of confusing to me, and, and it made more sense after reading through what you're talking about. But I think that sometimes that's what bowlers, we, we lose sight in that. We, we think that because we started with that ball, there's no chance we're going to go back to it. But I think we need to be keep our mind open to not always thinking to go to that ball that has a pin up and is going to skid down the lane and, and then come, you know, have more more angular motion on the back end. But I, I think really a lot of things, and, and Joe, there's so much stuff that we could discuss with you. We've really only hit one piece here, so we're definitely going to have to get you back on. Um, but I also want you to talk about a little bit just uh, briefly um, one of the things that we haven't really focused on here on Above180.com, but I know it's a very important part of people's game, is, is their mental focus. And you kind of hit on it with the oil patterns but uh, and not losing sight and not complaining about how uh, the lanes are dressed. But just talk about the mental game and, and how bowlers need to keep their mind in the right place mentally to score. I think the, the number one factor in re regard to the mental game, that's certainly a focus of the, the teams that I work with. I make sure that that's a, a major part of what we do is to have a work-like mentality. The idea is I want players to focus on one thing, commit to the line of intent with what you intend to do and to be disciplined in doing that. Because if you can commit to just hitting the line with the axis of rotation and the ball speed that you want, it's giving you information. If you throw a washout, you're very close to striking. If you throw the ball that goes high, it's a split. It's still information for you to make another adjustment to be able to stay in a high scoring pace or whatever scoring pace is at the tournament or league at that particular time. Many people, they lose composure and it changes them physically. Their thoughts get fast, they get emotional, and they give away five, six, seven, sometimes five, six, seven frames, sometimes games. And with many of these tournaments, it comes down to, uh, I remember the, the tour qualifier a few years ago came down to three guys Three pins, seven pins with three guys to make the tour as an exempt player. Over 45 games. And if you look back at most of these tournaments, it comes down to 
either for a medal or for the championship or to make a check, it comes down to a few pins. One miss spare, 11 pins. So to me, the idea is make it a work-like effort, especially in qualifying. Head-to-head match play to me is a little bit different because some players are better when they're a little bit more emotionally charged. But I've rarely seen a player in qualifying be very, very good if they are a very emotional up and down. I'd much rather see them be steady throughout the whole tournament by focusing on hitting the line of intent with the intended ball speed and axis of rotation. What does the ball tell you is going on? And if In other words, that, accurate feedback is extremely beneficial uh, for, for your progression as a bowler, without doubt. Well, I don't think you can become a great player unless you are composed. You know, I, I remember reading a quote by Michael Fagan recently. He said, I've learned not to give one more frame away this year. So he became, instead of being a very good player, he became a great player by being able to make those adjustments more quickly. Uh, when Todd Book led the qualifier, he didn't look at the score. Um, he, and In fact, he didn't even practice on one of the patterns and led the pattern. Huh. I think you know, Joe, he, be, be, before we wrap this up, I think we have to make one more mention of an extremely important element that you feel is essential for today's bowler. And again, this is contrary to what bowlers have heard for decades, and I mean decades, and it is D-Y-D-S, drop <laughs> your damn shoulder. Drop your damn shoulder, yes. You want to give us a, a kind of a brief synopsis of the uh, thought process behind this movement, if, if you want to call it that? Yeah, the, this has been emerging for me for several years. I remember when I was at the training center, one of the things that is, was a great asset as a coach is you get to see PBA videos all day long as you're comparison, comparing clients with PBA players. And I was watching Danny Wiseman a lot and how early he created space with his torso laterally. Um, you see this in a lot of players today more and more, a lot of more young players. But the idea is you, you, the range of motion of your neck and the range of motion of your spine to the outside allows you to create space for the swing. Think about this. You target with your eyes. You want your head to be over your swing. But in addition, if you don't create space for your swing, then you're not able to keep the ball and your elbow in on the downswing, which allows you to have a strong hand position into the release. So by creating space with your torso and your neck, one, it works the inside of the ball. Every elite player in the world, the elbow goes to the hip from the top of the swing, the ball goes inward. It doesn't come straight down. It comes inward. And you think about it, your index finger then is forward. And everybody at home listening, just stand up and lean your head to the right. Watch your elbow go to your hip. That enables you to have a strong release position. So by dropping your damn shoulder, you also move the trail leg over naturally away from your body, increasing the ability to have balance and leverage at the line. You have space for your swing, which improves your accuracy. It also improves your the ability to transfer energy from your body to the bowling ball. So 
So everybody listening, if you want to get better, drop your damn shoulder. And Joe, is this easy enough for existing bowlers who possibly are in their 40s, 50s, maybe even 60s to change their mindset after decades of bowling and trying not to drop their shoulder to actually incorporate this to free up their swing, have a better, stronger hand position, more toward the inside of the ball, and improve their balance. Can it be done? It, it, it can, and it has. Many players um, have written to me about how it's helped them to have more balance and also improve their ball motion. The key is in the setup, put the ball in front of your shoulder and then get your head on top of the ball. And then as soon as you move the ball, try to get your head outside of the bowling ball. And if you do that, you're leaning more. It's going to feel very strange at first, especially for those who are listening that have, had, have been told, don't drop your shoulder. Uh, but this is certainly something that is, in my opinion, one of the most important elements of great bowlers is that the trunk is leaning to the outside. And if we look at most players today, I don't like to use the terms cranker, tweener, stroker. To me, it's about biomechanical efficiency. The players with better en energy transfer throw it faster and have a higher rev rate. It's not about a type of player. It's about energy transfer to the bowling ball. On that note, Joe, we're going to have lots of great stuff here. Again, more uh, from Joe Slowinski. Check out bowlingknowledge.info, bowlingknowledge.info, and check that out. There's lots of great stuff there, lots of stuff that we've been talking about. We can uh, Joe gets into a lot more detail in his pieces there and on the website you can go back and read a lot of uh joe that that's a site a must site uh, for bowlers and we're gonna have it linked up here in our our interview so thank you for joining us today uh we're gonna have to do this again because you know a lot of these topics we only hit a few of the things and uh, it, very good job you did of, of visualizing it and helping bowlers i know one of the things that as we hear from comments from listeners of the show when they send us an email is they really want to hear from coaches like yourself, like yourself, the Billy Halls of the world, the really great bowling coaches that can uh, help bowlers out and help them improve their game because that's what we're here trying to do on Above 180. That's what you're trying to do. Um, so thank you for joining us, and we'd love to have you back again. Well, it's been great talking with you guys, and thank you very much. I'd love to come back on. Joe, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. For Tim Burke, Joe Serrar. Joe Slowinski, good luck and good bowling. <laughs>